Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me this week in the studio is Charlotte Shane. Charlotte Shane is an author and essayist, the co-founder of Tiger Bee Press, and host of the monthly reading series, Bad Advice from Bad Women. Charlotte, welcome. Thank you for having me, Mallory. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the show and to give. Actually, I should ask, like, are you planning on giving bad advice today? Is Are you going to switch it up and try to give good advice? Like, what's your what's your angle? That's a that's a great question. You know, I didn't even read the questions you sent me. I was just like, I'm going to wing it. I don't want to know anything about anything that's going to happen here. Thank I'm not even going to. God, re- <laughs> because lately all my guests have been a bunch of tryhards who show up with notes and thoughtful, like, thought out in advanced responses and I'm sick to death. <laughs> no. I'm dirtbag guest host. Yes. Like I'm, you know, that's what I want to channel. That sort of energy. Like, you know, pure slacker, smoking I, a cigarette, ashing it on the microphone. Yes, skateboarding in and out of the studio every 5 minutes. <laughs> skateboarding all over around the desk. Bullying yeah. me. So that's me. In between questions. <laughs> Just cyberbullying the hell out of me. Um <laughs> I I can't tell you how much this is just what I have longed for on a personal and a professional level. Um, A shakeup for 2018. I thought it was time. Yeah, more more guests that are just here to smoke cigarettes and steal my lunch money. Good. So I'm I'm so glad you have no idea what what we're going in for. Uh, Do you have the questions in front of you? I I guess is a question I should ask. I have them. I, oh, I spilled a lot of beer on them, Great. but I have them. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, would you please uh, read the very first one? Because it's so it's oh, so beautiful. It's okay. so good. Okay. Okay. Subject included, I hope. Oh, please. Okay. Subject. Kitten versus baby hypocrisy. Dear Prudence, last year I got into a huge fight with my sister about pet adoption. She wanted to buy a purebred kitten from a breeder. I told her it is immoral to buy pets when there are so many adoptable kittens and puppies in kill shelters. We actually stopped speaking for about two months over this issue. But then Sis surprised me with the news that she adopted a cat from a shelter and all was well between us. At Christmas, my husband and I announced to the family that we will soon be, that we will, pardon me, be starting IVF treatment soon. Everyone else was happy for us, but my sister got quiet. At the end of the party, she pulled me aside and called me a hypocrite. She said my IVF baby would be an, quote, expensive purebred, and I should adopt an older foster child. Then we bickered about it until our mom told us to shut up. I know my stubborn sister will be raising the issue again. I am sickened that she is comparing a cat and a baby, but part of me can see her logic. What can I say to diffuse this situation? I mean, I I agree that the situation should be diffused. You know, like that's a good place to start is to acknowledge that the rhetoric just you both immediately came out of the gate, like going 100 miles an hour in terms of rhetoric. Um, So I I I mean, I have to I have to admit I did. I did read a little bit of the questions. Oh, did you just (laughs) the the subject line drew you in? 
Yeah. <laughs> this one I could not resist. Yeah, kitten, you know, I had to look. This question just rocketed me straight to heaven. I was like, God bless Mallory. This this question is like sending me into ecstasy. I, I just, I think it's perfection. I think I could probably talk about it for an hour and I'm going to try not to. But know that I could yeah. if you want me to. I can. I mean, there's um, grist for that mill. Like, there's easily an hour's <laughs> worth of content in here because these are two very high conflict people. Um, you know, like the appropriate gif uh, to, to reply to this is just the classic that escalated quickly sort of thing. Like, damn, you guys do not say things halfway to one another. You guys stopped talking because your sister considered buying a cat. Like, that's heavy. I mean, I, I like that. I agree that it is good to adopt kittens uh, or or puppies from shelters. Um, I, I agree that that generally speaking, um, a lot of breeders, you know, contribute to the overpopulation of pets with no homes, um, and often, you know, are, don't treat the animals that they breed very well. Um, I sure would draw the line at not speaking to my sister for two months over it. Um, so that's that's one place to start there is like in the future when somebody does something or or talks about contemplating doing something um, that is not, you know, the best possible good rather than saying that is immoral and I want to speak to you. You know, save that for the really bad stuff. Save that for like I saw a kitten today and I ran over it with my car. Absolutely. You know, stop talking to your sister at that point. Um, and, you know, you can still make a case for like, hey, I actually think that breeders are a bad idea. And here is a little more information about that if you want to learn more. I sure encourage you to adopt a kitten from a shelter um, rather than it is immoral. You monster. I'm hanging up the phone now. Get out. Yeah, I mean, my first suggestion, maybe, perhaps this is too mild to address their concerns, but that um, the word immoral is maybe not the most helpful word um, in either situation, and that a better way of thinking about both choices might be kind of like with ethics, which to me feels a little more stable than like immoral. I don't know. To me, it, I, I really like thinking about ethics and there's there's kind of no bottom to the ethical standards you can hold other people to. So it's it, it's kind of actually easy for me to say something like, you know, it's like unethical that you spent $8 on a smoothie instead of giving that $8 to somebody who really needs money. Um, but most of us don't don't live, um, you know, with that like frame in mind all the time. Um, and I was just thinking like, would any, you know, does her sister really want to say that like IVF is immoral? I certainly don't think so. It, it seems pretty obvious that the letter writer's sister probably has no problems with IVF at all. And what she really objects to was the letter writer inserting herself perhaps quite stridently into her own decision-making process and then not applying that same uh, ethical framework to her own life and choices on a much larger scale. Right. And um, really didn't like pull her punches, just was like, oh, this is going to be a really great callback. I'm going to get to use her words against her. Um, so like you're both really slipping the lead into the boxing gloves and just going for it, um, which I think is is a bad way to try to relate to a sibling because a sibling is somebody who's going to be a part of your life for a really long time. And also they know a lot of stuff about you, intimate, emotional, vulnerable stuff, which means they have a lot of 
weapons that they can use to turn on you, which means that if you do get in the habit of speaking to one another like this, you know, you'll probably have a lot of conversations where you're like, and I've had this one locked and loaded for a year and now I'm going to deploy it and I'm going to devastate you. Well, the the one the thing I really liked, I actually think I, I kind of like both of these women a whole lot. <laughs> um, and what I like about them is that I think they both are um, pretty confident in their um, in how they think about things. Like, I, I don't know. To me, I'm kind of like, well, I almost I, I really respect and like that they will confront each other about these things instead of not saying anything. Because I actually Hang on, think, like, speaking of ethics, no. it's important to like speak up when you object to something i mean if if somebody if like i were close to was doing something i thought was unethical like on, a, on an important scale or that it wouldn't cost them to change their minds i would try to talk them into i would try to talk to them about it like if they were going to buy a cat I'd sure be like what you know what do you want it for like etc cetera, etc cetera. um but i i think that i honestly think that the letter writer has to apologize to her sister because it sounds like she was a real asshole about the cat thing and that that's what the sister's mad about not that the sister doesn't want her to have a baby yeah and and i'll give you that too i i don't believe that these sisters are models of like good healthy conflict because you know they had like one awful fight about the cat stopped speaking for 2 months the other sister gave in and then they papered over it until the other sister saw an opportunity to like sucker punch her right back so you know, this is not like, oh, we have this like no, really healthy, ongoing, honest conversation with one another. Like this is we paper over stuff and then we explode. I didn't say they were models, but I also know people who like really exist in a very heated and like direct way of communication, which is, of course, not how my family was at all. But um, but but I kind of like I guess in my head, if I could orchestrate like the perfect conversation between these two to diffuse the situation, mm-hmm. I would kind of want them to. I would kind of want them to be able to figure out a way to to actually talk to each other, um, like about their decision making in a healthier way, but in a way that's not like, well, we can't even talk about when somebody does something we think is like not a great choice. You know, right? like to have an option in between. We either don't discuss important issues or, right. you know, we come out swinging. No, I, I absolutely think yes. that that's true. And, and I actually I, I agree with you. I do think the first, you know, like volley needs to be. Hey, you know what? I really need to apologize how I spoke to you about the way that you were getting your cat. Um, I, like, was really hard on you. I stopped talking to you. You know, I shouldn't have done that. That was really shitty. And I'm sorry. It's just great that the letter writer's like, my stubborn sister is definitely going to bring this up again. It's like, okay, I don't think your sister is the only stubborn one. I don't think you can, like, one-sidedly. Yeah, I think you guys have a lot in common. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. So Uh, go ahead and apologize, you know, sincerely. Um, and then, you know, once you have done that and like, wait until you can speak calmly about it, because this is going to feel really heated, right? Because whenever someone contemplates having a child, um, they get really intense really fast because it feels really personal. And so the idea that somebody else might not want you to have a child feels really like threatening to your well-being. Um, so, you know, apologize, you know, get that handled and then, you know, just say like, hey, I also want to be able to talk about, um, IVF and like if you have concerns or if you like want to talk to me about you know what your opinions are on like the the relative like cost expenditure that we'll be putting out like I want to be able to have that conversation but you know just like as a sort of ground rule please don't refer to any hypothetical child of mine as an expensive purebred like let's just take that kind of language off the table right like, and, and that's a reasonable request like, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't refer to any human as a, a purebred ever. Or, right. or, let's or, let's know, not get into just, eugenics. Let's just not. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I feel optimistic about these two and I, I just kind of like them. And I, I love that the letter writer was honest enough to say that even though she wanted to have all this you know, take umbrage at her sister calling her out that she actually says, I understand her point. That kind of like <laughs> respect just... of like, all right, you got me good. Like you did use my own words against yeah. me. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of love them. I don't want them to not talk for two months again. I think that they, they sound really smart and, and I like them both. I yeah. want them to be happy, but I think the letter writer needs to apologize and then they can like call a truce and combine their powers for good, yes. you know, and for it, making like, good ethical decisions. If you guys are both in the habit of kind of like going really hard to just like end a conversation you can always pause and say, like, I am getting really heated right now. I love you. I know I'm going to say something that I will regret later. Can we take five on this one? I'm going to take a walk around the block and then we'll try again. Um, and like, if you want to say it feels really painful to me, uh, you know, because I really want to have a biological child and I'm willing to invest this much money and time into it, like I'm willing to have a conversation about it. But at a certain point, I do want to ask that you respect if that's a decision I choose to make, that that is a decision I can make. That's something I can prioritize. It's not an objectively right or objectively wrong thing. Um, that's, that's fair to do, too. So, um, you know, set limits. Take time out when you need them. If you feel yourself on the verge of saying something really painful to your sister, you know, like call for a reset. Um, and, you know, good luck. You guys sound like you both want to do a little bit better. And the good news is there's a lot of room for diffusing because you guys definitely both have a history of whatever the opposite of diffusing is. Infusing? Fusing. Uh, <laughs> a lot. Infusing, yeah. <laughs> All right. So this next letter, the subject line is just this. So happy for you. Dear Prudence, I'm a single gal in my mid-30s who's had a tough go of it romantically. In the past five years, I've had two engagements hit the skids, and I'm currently experiencing a severe dating slump. Meanwhile, everyone in my close circle of friends has gotten or is about to get married, and a lot of them are having kids already. While I love my friends, I'm finding it harder to participate in their happy life events as it reminds me what I'm missing out on. I'm hoping you can help me find a way to express this difficulty to my friends. Every time I get an invitation for an engagement party, baby shower, or child's birthday party, I can feel my spirit crashing. It's like a reminder of what I don't have but so badly want and makes me feel left out. In the past, I've attended these events because I wanted to support my friends, even though it would leave me feeling depressed for the rest of the day. It's a new year and I'm inspired by the potential of new opportunities ahead, but I don't want to consciously put myself in a situation that I know will make me anxious and upset anymore. It's also tougher to come up with new excuses as to why I can't go. When the next invite for a shower or party comes in the mail, what's a nice way for me to let the sender know that I appreciate being concluded? And it's nothing personal, but it's just too hard on me mentally to attend these types of occasions. Um, I thought that there's like a pretty straightforward solution to this. Give me, I'm give me if it. Going to agree, I love straightforward is, solutions. I think, I, I think she should just tell her friends how she feels. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Like, And if that feels too vulnerable because there are different you know sort of like levels of friends so to speak you know if she's like has varying intimacy with these people and it and it feels kind of like too exposed to tell some of them what's going on that you don't have to give an excuse if you don't go to something you can just say you know thank you so much for this invitation like i wish i could be there i'm not going to be able to and then you can also say like but i would love to see you and take you out to lunch or whatever else and the odds are if her friends are pregnant or about to get married they're probably too busy to take her up on that offer but it will affirm that she you know that they're important to her and that she wants 
to be part of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think especially there's there's sort of a sorting algorithm you can apply to this. Like an engagement party falls a little higher up on the scale of things that it might be important to at least make an appearance at versus like somebody's second child's second birthday party. Y- you can really give that one a miss, you know, like um, as, yeah. as, as great as kids are, you know, somebody's like first or second birthday party is sort of like they vaguely experience shapes. I actually am not a specialist in child development. They might experience other things, too. But, um, yeah, a, a lot of these are are, are opt-out. Um, and I, I actually totally agree, especially with your close friends. Um, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're like, I'm never going to go to any of your weddings or celebrate anything. I'm out. It's canceled. Um, but you can certainly share just like, hey, I'm going through kind of a rough time. Um, and I love you and I want to see you. Um, but, I, I, you know, I've been to like eight engagement parties this last year and sometimes it's a little painful for me. Um, so maybe I'm going to come by for the first hour and then scoot. Um, and I'd love to maybe just like check in a little more often and, and share how I'm doing. And hopefully, um, your friends will take you up on that because that's 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 okay to say like not that it's you know your fault that I'm going through a difficult time or that I can't experience joy for you um, but that collectively this is kind of taking a toll on me like I think that's fine especially if it's somebody you're really close with yeah I mean it seems corny but you can always tell someone the important thing which is like I care about you. I want to stay a part of your life. Like you don't have to tell them the unimportant stuff, which is that like I'd love to come to your party, except that it's going to really depress me. Or like in my case, like I'd love to come to your party, but I'm really lazy and I'm not a very social person and, you know, whatever else. Like you can just tell them the important thing, which is like, I'm so glad you invited me. You mean a lot to me. It sounds corny, but I don't know. People people surprisingly like hearing that they matter to other people. So I don't think your relationships need to suffer. Just because you don't want to attend these things all the time. And I'll just throw in, like, in addition to this, it sounds like you're already working hard on kind of tending to yourself and setting limits and focusing on what's to come, which is great. Um, You know, I also just want to throw in a plug for invest in one or two of your friendships with other single people. Um, Obviously, there's no guarantee that your other single friends won't eventually uh, have a child or get married. But it is great when you have at least one or two other people in part of your circle of friends um, who are kind of experiencing the same thing you are. And so that not everyone that you're close with is, you know, a young parent who's really busy and deeply involved with their you know, new family. Um, that might go a long way towards making you feel kind of seen and heard and understood um, and, and, and having a friend who is like free to get, you know, coffee in the afternoon without having to arrange for childcare or like or arrange things with their partner like that might also help. Yeah, it'll be okay. I'm, I, I really feel like the thrust of this letter was sort of like, I'm sad, which is okay. It was really touching and sweet. I hope you feel better soon. Yeah, I felt Your honest. friends will be there for you. It, it's okay. Yeah, it didn't feel like <laughs> deeply resentful. It didn't feel like I've been letting this fester so long that I kind of hate everybody now. It's just simple and honest. And I hope that if you share some of that with your friends that they will, you know, respond with compassion and, and love. Um, and I'm sorry, yeah. that is and a dates lot. dates if you want. Like two, they, might, they might say a lot. Yeah, two called off engagements in the last five years. That's That's painful. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm glad you didn't end up marrying those people because I, I, I imagine that that would have gone really badly. But um, that's rough. So I, I hope the new year holds something better for you. Yeah. Okay. Better year for 2018. Better for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this next one, Charlotte, you should know I have had this one sitting in like a Google Doc limbo for six months because all I have been able to come up with in reply to this one is you have to tell us who the famous guy is. Like... <laughs> 
that's all I've been able to get to. Every like week, I imagine it with a different famous guy. Um, and well, that's I, really fun. Well, who is it this week? Uh, you know, it's actually the game's gotten less fun in the last month or two, just given the sort of like oh, yeah. national Six conversation around um, famous gentlemen. Yeah. So I don't think it's anybody right now. Um, but it's been a lot of really fun. Just like actors, I think are handsome. Basically, is is what I've. Uh, been been imagining so far um but I, it's your turn to read and and i'm really excited for you to get to read it um and i'm curious if i will actually have an answer for this person or if i will just want like a follow-up request for more gossip <laughs> okay okay i'm ready um the subject is blind item dear prudence i have a long-standing friends with benefits situation with a man substantially wealthier more famous read at all and powerful than i am This has been going on for about eight years now. We live on separate coasts, so we've literally slept together twice in all that time, but we email and text fairly often, including not only sexy time stuff, but some really intimate confessional conversations. When we met, we were both married. His marriage fell apart, something he blames slash credits me for, which is silly because I am clear-eyed enough to know he screwed around all the time. My own marriage has held... My husband knows what has happened, at least the physical encounters, and while he's not thrilled, he lives with it. He's had his own infidelities, which I'm semi-okay with, and I guess you could define our relationship as not exactly open, but tolerant. Also, he's a fan of this guy, so it's sort of one of those freebie list situations. So here's the problem. I don't want to run away with this guy or anything, but I think about him in high dungeon every day. I know he thinks about me occasionally, too, But he also has moved on to a new serious girlfriend, 20 years his junior, manic pixie type, but now I'm being petty. And the power differential is pretty extreme. We both recognize that, sometimes ruefully, sometimes thrillingly. But it doesn't, but it obviously doesn't hit home in the same way with him as it does with me because, you know, power differential. Is there any way for me to maintain this lovely bantering occasional relationship I have with him and not feel needy and hurt when he drops out for long periods to deal with his busy, glamorous life? Okay, so I actually do have somebody that I'm picturing right now, by the way, because as you were reading this, I googled who are famous men dating much younger women, which is a very long list of famous men. (laughs) All of them. Um, Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a lot. Uh, But I'm going with Jason Statham. Okay. Yeah, I'm picturing Jason Statham. Um, and just in between Fast and Furious movies, he texts this woman um, and then jets off to film more, you know, vaguely. What is it? What is his shtick? Like almost indie action movies, right? He's like the thinking man's action man. Is that it? Um, yeah, that sounds right. Like he sounds like the type of guy who's in, you know, like. Where's the briefcase now movie? Where's the briefcase now? That is the best description of a kind of movie that I really enjoy, um, even though it's always the same kind of movie. But yeah, so this is about Jason. It is not about Jason Statham. Uh, I apologize. I don't mean in any way to impugn the good name of Jason Statham. Um, That's just who I am choosing to picture uh, as we read this uh, letter. Who are you going to picture? Who's your guy? Oh, I was picturing someone kind of, um, I was about to say old, but that might not be okay. Like 60s-ish with like a beard and kind of heavy, but like wearing a suit a lot. So um, like Oliver Sarkozy, <laughs> who is dating one of the Olsons. I forget which one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Perf. That's, that is, per- oh my God, that's literally who it is. He's dating a younger manic pixie type. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, it could it could be Alec Baldwin, except I kind of have a hard time imagining... <sighs> 
that he's like a lot of fun to text with, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, he just he doesn't years, seem like he's a of fun that. texter. Um, all right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop guessing because that is not what this person like asked us to do um, to speculate. It could be Bruce Willis. Yeah, oh, that's kind of sexy. I like that. I mean, I I yeah. really need to stop just guessing is what I need to stop. But doing. it it also it does have to be a guy that other guys admire. So yeah, Sarkozy is probably out. Yeah, yeah. I was for a while. I was trying to picture like John Stewart or somebody, but but he's just <laughs> married to his wife. So um, Jeff Goldblum. Okay, I'm done. It's Jeff Goldblum. Um, that is who we are going to picture as we answer this letter, which we have not done at all. Um, but this woman has been seeing Jeff Goldblum on and off for eight years, um, but they've only slept together twice. Um, congratulations on sleeping with Jeff Goldblum. Um, uh, yeah, what's what, what's your read on this? Uh, how do you, do you see this as a lovely, bantering, occasional relationship? Because spoiler alert, I sure don't. Okay, yeah. Here's where I'm at with this. I think this whole emphasis on like the power differential is a bit of a red herring because I think really the only salient power differential between them is that she really enjoys feeling kind of infatuated with him. And he is probably super distracted most of the time. And he um, probably, you know, speaks to her when it's convenient and when he like um, is idle or like really needs to. That she's kind of his like on-call therapist slash like lover. Um, And for him, he's or for her, pardon me, she's like, (laughs) I'm sorry, all my pronouns are wrong. This is why we should all just use they there all the time. For her, he is more of like a constant escape and something she really enjoys fantasizing about and something that feels, I think, like really hot and special for her to have in her life. So the significance for her is huge. But I don't think it's because he has like more power. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's he's like exploited her somehow. It just it's just that like his stature helps him become an extra appealing fantasy object. Right. Right. He has this whole life that she's kind of envious of. Like he got out of the kind of lousy marriage. And like the way that this letter writer describes her marriage is like. We're not thrilled. We live with it. I'm semi-okay with this. I guess you could define our relationship as tolerant. It's sort of one of those situations. Like, there's a lot of um, emotional inertia when she describes her marriage. And, like, it it may be that you love your husband very, very much. I'm not trying to suggest that you don't like the guy or that you guys should get divorced. It just sounds like um, you have imbued this other dude with, he's got all this freedom. He's always jet setting off to other places. He gets to replace his kind of lousy marriage with like a beautiful younger girlfriend. He gets to do all the things I wish I could do. Um, and so that's part of what is giving him all of this power. Cause like, right. As you said, it doesn't sound like he is like, you know, sending a jet to like steal you away from work or trying to like in some way exploit, um, his fame and wealth, aside from just being like, this adds to my charisma. Um, but it sounds like you're really envious of the way in which he gets to conduct his personal life. And I would say, you know, use that envy to do something other than just wait for him to text every couple of months. Um, like pursue the things that you want with the same intensity that he pursues the things that he wants, which, you know, we have to be frank, are kind of not really you. Um like, he enjoys talking to you sometimes. 
he enjoys sleeping with you once every four years um, or twice in eight years. You know, like he he pursues the things that he wants and he's pursued you as much as he wants, which is kind of on the fringes of his life. Um, and he's that doesn't seem likely to change. So, you know, that's not to say that you have to stop talking to him tomorrow, but like, you know what you're going to get from this guy. Like, there is nothing about him that is not a known quantity. Um, he is not going to suddenly surprise you. He is not suddenly going to get more interested in like deepening your connection. He's not going to drop the hot, young, manic pixie type uh, girlfriend. Um, so, uh, you know, if you are not up for another eight years of this, the change is going to have to come from you because it's not going to come from him because he's getting everything he wants out of the situation. So, you know, I would say this is not an occasional relationship. You think about him every day in high dudgeon. So, you know, you say you don't want him to run away with him, but like, I kind of don't buy that. I think you at the very least want him to show up at your door with a helicopter and say, like, I left the girlfriend. I threw everything away. Do you want to run away together? And you want to have that moment of deciding. Like, you don't necessarily want to go with him, but you want him to ask. You want him to say, like, I have all these things, but you know what? Your text messages are just so compelling. I dropped them all, and I want to just, like, move to the moon with you. Um, either so that you can be like, hell yes, let's, like, fuck everything and go, or so you can be like, no, I've outgrown you. I'm the one with the power now. Give me the helicopter and fuck off. Um, both of which are very powerful fantasies, um, and neither of which are going to happen. So... My question to you is, is this really lovely? Like, are you really getting anything out of this? Like, yes, you send flirtatious texts once in a while. Um, yes, it helps kind of like let the steam off of this marriage that you sort of resent. But um, like, if you want something different out of the next eight years, um, what are you going to do to get those things? Is my question to you, letter writer. I mean, you. I don't know if you've ever heard this, that like people who gamble like... Um what's the word casually like people who aren't like addicts but who like gambling will always say that when you gamble you have to sort of think of the money you put down as like you're paying to play the game not that like this is my money that i'm going to collect at the end because you're not going to collect at the end or like here's my chance to get rich because you're not going to get rich you have to be like this is what i'm putting in to have this experience and that's what i was thinking about with her letter i was like you know he's using her but she is using him because she gets this like incredibly fulfilling fantasy life and like this fun secret and I, I feel like I've had that before it's super compelling it's it's like I mean you're basically like on drugs all the time um but it's gonna hurt a lot you know so her end question was sort of like can I still have this and not be hurt and my answer would be no you know you can't like it's going it's gonna end badly unless as you said Mallory you kind of take the steps to start weaning yourself off of it which you don't need to do it's like I mean I say you don't need to do just because if she, if the letter writer is is more or less happy or if the letter writer is willing to put up with the um, the sensations of suffering, if this kind of like extreme back and forth is part of what makes it like thrilling, intoxicating for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like part of what feels like passion to her, then maybe she doesn't need to end it. But she should be realistic about like. This is the ride I keep buying the ticket for, you know, not that like, yeah, maybe someday he's going to Christian Grey me away from my 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 tolerant husband. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, it doesn't sound like, you know, this isn't ruining your life. You're not 
miserable every day. Um, but it does take a toll on you. So I think the question you need to put to yourself is, um, this is what I get when I engage with this guy. Um, I get the powerful secret. I, I get the feeling that I'm like escaping from the realities of my marriage. Um, I get to feel like super involved with this person that I find very emotionally and physically compelling. Um, and the, the other things that I experience are sometimes he drops me and that hurts. And I get to watch like the goings on of his personal life because he lives his life in public in a way that I don't. Um, so I sometimes feel like, you know, a little Dickensian orphan staring through a window at like a bit rich baron, like eating a turkey leg. Um and if that's something that you're willing to do a little bit, you know, set some limits. Don't always respond immediately to the emails. Um, figure out other things in your life that you would like to change. Invest in different relationships. Have long, intimate, confessional conversations with other people who maybe live near you and are not, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum. Um, and, and, and put him in a slightly smaller box that you can, like, you know, enjoy the hit more, right? Like when you do finally decide to take that drug. Um, or if you're like, wow, actually, I don't like what I have put into this for the last eight years. I don't want another eight years of this. Um, maybe just kind of, like, wish him well. And, you know, again, you don't have to say, like, I'm never speaking to you again. You're a jerk. And you've taken advantage of me because you've, you've both used each other. But you can just kind of say, like... I want help from either my partner or my friends or a therapist in um, no longer investing in this guy, no longer like ponying up to this game. Um, I want to use that energy to do something else. And if that's what you want, um, you know, the good news is you clearly have a lot of energy that you're about to free up if you stop talking to him so often. Um, and I, I have every faith in your ability to like get your own helicopter. That's definitely, I think, my personal preference, but all of those are options, you know, that you have available to you. Um, and then most importantly, please write back and tell us who it is. Uh, we will not publish it on the air, but I am a very nosy person and I want to know. Yeah. Go get that helicopter, girl. Yeah, get the get helicopter. helicopter. It's going to be a lot more fun than Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> who I'm sure is great. <sighs> Sorry, Jeff. You don't believe that, Mallory. You don't like Jeff Goldblum. I, don't I know. I've seen what you put Jeff on the Goldblum. internet. I am baffled by the insistence that I get from so many people that they're attracted to him. I don't believe it. I think they're lying to me. I don't understand why they're lying to me about this. It makes no sense to me. Wait, which is real quick. Who is like a hot guy you think everyone should be attracted to? I don't think there's anyone everyone should be attracted to. <laughs> but like Jeff Goldblum can't be the guy. He can't be the guy that everyone is like. I like it makes sense that everyone's like the rock is hot. I'm like, yes, of course. We should all agree on some level that the rock is hot, of course. Um, but I just I don't believe it when people tell me that they're wild about Jeff Goldblum. He seems kind of nice. He seems on a lot. Um this is just turning into like a long rambling description of my feelings about different famous men. And that's really not what this show is about. Um so let's go ahead and move on to our next letter, which is long. Um, and a lot. Um, and it's sort of the, the flip side to a letter that we get a lot. Um, and it's sort of the, a perspective that I don't often hear from. So it was kind of interesting to hear this guy's take, um, on, on why his marriage is ending. So the subject here is just taken by surprise. Dear Prudence, my wife has decided to leave me and it's a surprise, and her adoption of the language of abuse has made it impossible for me to have any constructive conversations with her about it. How can I show her I'm not that person? It began with an email from an acquaintance who worked in a related industry two months ago. 
I had reached out to the woman for support in a Me Too campaign that a friend was hosting, and I knew she was interested in those issues. She responded by saying that I had made suggestive comments to her at a party years prior and was shocked that I would ask her given my behavior. The message left me reeling. I recalled the incident, but only my attempt to flirt with an acquaintance who worked in another industry, granted, at a work mixer hosted by my employer. Although my wife disagreed with the note, as well as whether I'd done anything wrong on that occasion, though she and I had been dating for a few months at that point, which she wasn't thrilled about, we were not married. However, she said the letter made her realize that she had been unhappy with our dynamic, she respected the woman for her courage, and resented the way that I spoke and fought with her over our one year of marriage. We had dated five years prior. I am the father to her special needs child from a previous marriage, who is now seven. My wife is my best friend, and I love her. My wife and I discussed, and I immediately found a therapist and a psychiatrist. The issue was my angry outbursts and hurtful things I'd said. There was also an incident where I threw a shoe at her feet, and once where I blocked her from leaving a room, and before we were married, I once slammed a tray table in anger and broke it. Fast forward to today, and two fights where nothing was thrown but where I said regrettable things. She now claims she feels unsafe in our home, though I've never laid a hand on her, or any other person for that matter, in anger. I've seen my therapist three times. We navigated the complex holiday dynamics without fighting, which is a huge feat with a special needs child sharing a house with my brother, his newborn, his two-year-old, and both of my parents. I'm now sleeping on the couch, and when we talk, I stay across the room so as not to give any impression of intimidation. She only wants to talk logistics with me and about what our daughter needs, and I'm not allowed to touch her at all. She doesn't respond to texts. I've only sent three where I tell her I still love her but will keep my distance according to her wishes. She thinks she's unsafe and sees it as an act of love that we end this before something quote-unquote regrettable happens. I feel like I'm in crazy town. I saw arguments and she saw abuse, and now my family is disappearing. And I've never even punched back in a fight, let alone struck or grabbed a woman in anger. I'm willing to get help to change the way I express myself, but she's made up her mind. I feel like she's jumped over all the steps, couples counseling, talking with family, separate rooms, and now she's already talking to a lawyer who she had from her first divorce. I know I should respect her wishes and back off, but I don't want to lose my family and make it easy and comfortable for her. She's in the bed. I'm on the couch. It just really feels like I'm paving the way to make her comfortable throughout this. I have trouble with the thought of my wife on a couch while I'm cozy in bed. Why does this have to happen so quickly? And how can I argue when my apologies and suggestions for strategies for improving our relationship all sound like part of the cycle of abuse, apologize, and repeat? Her priority, she says, is keeping herself and her daughter safe. She wants to know where those strategies were for the last six years, but honestly, I didn't know it was that bad. Whew, I edited this one down a lot, and I probably could have edited it down more, but this is a long letter about why your wife should not be allowed to leave you, my dude. This letter was like, so I, I, I mean, sadly, my dirtbag images and tatters. I did write notes for all the other questions. This one, I just filled up an entire page with a question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Like, there's, there's so much to say here. But I think the first, which I suspect we're both on the same page about, is that the letter writer might sincerely be surprised that his wife was not comfortable with the way he'd been behaving over their six-year relationship. But I do not believe that his wife just erratically decided abruptly to end the relationship after giving him no indication that she ever felt unsafe or uncomfortable or unhappy. 
Um, so that's kind of the first thing. Like, I really wish we could get a hold of the wife, frankly. Yeah, um, my guess is this is not the first time she has tried to communicate to you that she doesn't like it when you stop her from leaving a room or smashing a table in front of her or throwing shoes at her. Like, I'll bet you had some sense that she didn't like those things. Like, I, I don't think I don't think she had you convinced that she thought those things were fun. And regrettable things, quote unquote, saying regrettable things or hurtful things obviously spans a huge range. Yeah, right? you got real vague and, in those moments. <laughs> and uh, the letter writer obviously wants you to know that he has never physically hit his wife with his hands. That's a good thing, although I'm reticent to praise someone for not doing that. Um, but it doesn't mean that he, that you, like, that by definition, therefore, someone cannot be abusive like of course you can still be incredibly abusive without striking somebody with your hand yeah and i mean um, you know part of what is violent about those incidents that you describe you threw something at her you kept her from leaving a room you smashed a table in front of her um in all of those moments you were demonstrating physically i'm willing to use violence to win this fight right now it's directed against an object or it's sort of passive to make sure you don't do something i don't want to do but the reason you did those things was because you knew the threat of if you continue to push me in this moment i will next get violent with you is exactly why you did that you kept her from leaving the room because if she had tried harder to get around you you would have physically stopped her. Like, don't don't pretend to yourself that those things were nonviolent just because the object of your violence was an object. I mean, it kind of felt to me like there were two strains in this letter, um, like t- two points of uh, like consternation for the letter writer. And one I think is is probably sincere, like that he that he loves his wife. He wants to keep his family together. And maybe he is willing to change. And it's kind of a sincere like, um, how do I just like I, I, like, you know, he's just really alarmed to see what's happening and wants to stop it um, with a sincerity that's not like I want to stop it because I'm a crazy, like controlling maniac. Mm-hmm. And like, I just want to have somebody to beat up on. But there's another part of the letter which is a lot more, um, I don't even think this is a criticism. This is just me kind of trying to like pick it, like, or you, you know, like untease, like tease it out is that he, he does not want to be an abuser. Like he's really concerned with the fact that um, his wife has this image of him and he's kind of like, how can I stop her from thinking that or saying that? And I feel like that, um, you know, like the desire to control another person's narrative about the relationship is a really common thing in relationships, particularly when they're not going well, mm-hmm. where I know I've been in situations before where I'm just like, it drives me crazy to think that like, we're going to break up and they're going to go tell all their friends like I was like this and I was like this and I wasn't like that. I was like this and whatever else. Right. And it's like that is 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 not like a, maybe that's not like an important impulse right now. And that he himself says in the letter, like, I know I should honor what she wants, but, you know, how can I not do that? Um, I'm like seeing if I can find the exact language. I'm sure you know what part I'm talking about. Um, And it sounds like whether or not his wife is even willing to entertain the idea of staying with him, it would be a good idea for him to stick with the therapist and address his ways of expressing anger. And that... 
he might not be able to stop what's happening right now. His wife might divorce him no matter what. Um, but I feel pretty certain she's going to divorce him if he like refuses to take her concern seriously and just sort of tries to roll over them by being like, oh, I had no idea. I'm shocked, but I'm sure we can fix it because that wouldn't reassure me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think totally cosign. I think your wife is leaving you. I think she is right to leave you. If she had written to me, I would encourage her to keep leaving you. Um, you are going really bending over backwards to point out how great it is that you're sleeping on the couch and what a chivalrous gentleman that makes you. And I just want to go ahead and say, don't give yourself credit for that. Um, your wife is in the process of leaving you. Of course you're on the couch. Um, that is not a sign of character. Um, so don't give yourself credit for that, my guy. Um, you have and I really wanted to say, like, oh, sorry. No, go for it. Away. I just wanted to say about the couch situation, like, obviously, finances are a concern. Um, and, and who knows what their that situation is like. But it sounds like they have a kind of robust friends and family network. And I'm sure he doesn't want to leave his children. But I would say move out. Like, if you, one step to make her feel a little safer is for you to move out. It's not for you to be in the house across the room from her. Like, that It sounds like a David Lynch movie. Like, that sounds horrifying. Like, it's for you to move out. It's for you to say, like, I understand you need space to feel safe. I'm going to get out. And, like, sending three text, three text messages, come on. Like, write her. Like, if you're really sincere about all this, ask for your therapist's help. Write her a letter. You don't have to give it to her. Give it to a family member maybe and be like, if you feel like this would be received by her, like, if this is appropriate to give to her, like, you know, I would ask you to give it. But I don't want to keep imposing myself on her. Like, because... If he keeps imposing himself, like, of course, she's not going to believe him. Yeah. And and I got to go ahead and say, I I don't encourage you to write a letter about how much you love her and give it to a family member to give to her. Like, she's made it really clear that she does not want to have that conversation with you. You've sent her three text messages now about how much you're going to keep your distance. You can't keep telling someone you're going to keep your distance. That's not keeping your distance. Um, So part of the work that you need to do now needs to not be, how do I convince my wife not to leave? It's, I've been given new information about the kind of person that I am and about the way that I treat the women in my life. I don't want to be that kind of person. So regardless of whether or not my wife decides that she wants to stay with me, I need to take serious steps towards fixing my life, towards changing the way that I deal with anger, towards changing the way that I deal with women, towards working harder to make sure that I actually pay attention when the women in my life try to communicate, you're scaring me, you're hurting me, this is not okay, I don't like this, stop. Um, Because clearly right now you have been given off signals that are like, unless you tell me you're leaving, I'm not paying attention. Like, you know, I'm going back to that first email that you experienced, like some woman said, you made suggestive comments to her at a party, and it left you reeling. You remembered it, but you only remember flirting with another acquaintance. That's really vague. I got to tell you, I, I don't read that description and think, wow, you've really reckoned with what happened that night. You've really thought clearly and carefully about what you said and did. Um, it's, it's, it's very vague. Um, I'm curious what she says you said to her. Um, it, it doesn't sound like she is shocked that you would want to get involved in a Me Too campaign because you once said something suggestive. Like my read on that is you went a little beyond suggestive. Um, and given that that was at work and that you were in a relationship at the time, um, you know, I don't know what the power dynamic was between the two of you, but like there's there's more digging to be done there in therapy. Again, like I think 
Um, you now have had two different women in your life tell you that you have done or said something that was really, really not okay. Um, and, you know, right now you're kind of flailing and pointing to all the things you haven't done um, as evidence for I'm really a good person, should be given another chance. And I'm not saying that you need to throw yourself off the side of a mountain and say that I am a monster and an abuser. Uh, but you are given you're being given a real opportunity here um, to stop, to take stock and to ask what are the ways in which I've harmed women? How can I stop? That's really important. And that's much more important than convincing your wife not to leave you. Like this is a matter of your character and whether or not you are a safe person for women to be around. Um, so I, I would just go ahead and say, really, it's great that you've been to therapy three times. Go a lot more. Go to a ton more. Go so many times <laughs> that you laugh when somebody says they've been to therapy three times. Um, and specifically, uh, find a therapist who will help you work on anger management, boundaries, um, sexism, um, like power dynamics uh, in the workplace and at home, um, and who can help you figure out, you know, uh, what can I do instead of blocking someone from leaving a room, instead of breaking a table to show that they should not cross me, instead of throwing shoes at the person that I am married to? Like, that's not a confrontational communication style. Um, that's violent and that's not okay. You can't do that to people. You shouldn't do that to people. It's wrong. Um, and you should not have done that to your wife. And so the fact that you are only now acknowledging after this six-year relationship where at least on a couple of occasions you have scared and threatened your wife, um, that, that you are only really concerned now suggests to me that what you are mostly concerned about is getting what you want, which is convincing your wife to stay with you and not really dealing with the fact that you have hurt women um, and that's wrong, full stop. So, you know... My encouragement, my advice to you, uh, you know, stay in that therapist. Don't worry so much about the couple's counseling. Um, I, I don't love, by the way, my friend, uh, that you say you feel that she has jumped over all the steps because that implies that she needs your permission to divorce you. She does not. She just needs to want to leave you. That is a good enough reason to get divorced. So, you know, if you're going to try to say like, oh, I'll let you divorce me, but only after we go to so many couples counseling sessions, you've convinced my family members and we have slept in the same house in different rooms for three months, then you're allowed. Like that is another attempt uh, to control her. Um, and if she feels like, you know what, I'm done, I have tried, I think the fact that you are surprised probably has less to do with the fact that your wife has insufficiently communicated that those things were not okay and has more to do with the fact that you would not listen to anything short of, I am not comfortable and safe in this marriage and I am leaving. So you want to know how you can argue with your apologies and strategies? That sounds like making excuses, um, trying to cover things up, trying to convince her that she can't leave you. So I would say don't try to argue. Arguing is done. We are done arguing. You are not good at arguing. When you argue, you scare and intimidate and hurt people. Um, so you need to take that arguing off the table. If your wife wants space, give it to her. Take this seriously. Go to therapy just a fucking ton. Um, and ask yourself, where were these strategies for the last six years? Why did you convince yourself that it was okay to smash a table in front of your wife? Why did you convince yourself it was okay that once you left, like, kept her physically from leaving the room, as long as you didn't hit her, um, why was that okay for you? And why is it only not okay now that you're standing to lose something you thought you could always rely on? Um, you got a lot to think about, my guy. I, I, I genuinely wish you the best, um, you know. 
I, I hope that you take this seriously. I hope you don't continue to treat women like this. I hope you look honestly and clearly on the things that you have done and said to women, and I hope you change. <sighs> and if your wife is listening, good luck. Man, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're getting out. I'm glad you're talking to a lawyer. Good for you. All right. She sounds super on top of things. She sounds done. You know what I mean? She sounds ready to be done. I have to imagine if she wrote us a letter about all the things that she has tried in this marriage, it would be a lot um, to get him to to communicate differently. I think she is probably not surprised. Um, And I just I'm going to say one last thing because there's just so much in this letter. Um, you say I'm not allowed to touch her at all. And that's uh, oh you're my speaking God, about your wife. Like, and the implication there is like, can you believe this shit? I'm not allowed How to unreasonable. touch my wife. And I just This is tell literally you, crazy town. My man this is crazy town is what he says. <laughs> touching other people is a privilege and not a right. Um, and just because you are married to someone does not give you like unlimited touching privileges that are irrevocable from here to eternity. Like I you don't get to touch your wife if she becomes your ex-wife. And you don't get to touch your wife if she says, I don't want you to touch me. Um, and you don't get to touch your wife if you have betrayed her trust. So it's actually super reasonable that she doesn't want you to touch her. Um, and, you know, listing it as like another thing that you can't believe you're being subjected to right now, again, just says a lot to me about the way that you view women, specifically your wife, which is kind of like the woman I get to do whatever I want to because I married her. Uh, Lucky for her, I'm pretty nice. I don't hit women. Um, But I do do some other stuff that I feel comfortable with. uh, And that's my right as her husband. And uh, I just got to tell you, it makes a lot of sense that you're not allowed to touch her. And this kind of like faux, shocked, aggrieved attitude towards touching other people suggests to me, you know, you got to go back to kindergarten right now and learn why is touching other people a privilege, not a right? Um, how do we make other people feel when we touch them in ways that they don't like or talk to them in ways that they don't like? And what can we do to make sure other people feel safe uh, so that touching can be back on the table? Um, and again, that's not so that your wife might change her mind someday. I, I think this relationship is probably, you you know, you blew it, my guy. Um, but I think there is hope for you uh, for the future that you will not harm other women um, in the same way. And I wish you the absolute best. Please keep us updated on how that goes for you. I would love to hear from you in six months or a year um, if you actually gave your wife that space and actually tried to look at your own behavior honestly. All right, last letter. Let's do this. Charlotte, you in? I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, subject. Go if you must, but we are staying. Dear Prudence, through hard work and very good luck, I was able to retire in my mid-30s. I decided to continue working, but remotely, and with a lot of control over the intensity of my job. I met my now wife, we picked a city to move to, and had two kids. We spend summers in another part of the country and travel a lot. My wife took a job in a new field. My flexible work allowed me to take primary responsibility for childcare. Recently, she was approached with a job offer, but the job is in a city pretty universally regarded as an undesirable place to live comes with little vacation and no freedom to work outside the office. I don't want to move or give up summers away, and the kids are even more adamant. They love their school and have great friends here. My wife doesn't want to hear it and was basically laughing off our objections to do online house shopping. Finally, I told her flat out that while she could move wherever she wants, the kids and I are going to stay. She can commute, come back a couple weekends a month, if she feels the job is so important to her. We can afford the extra costs, though they will probably be greater than what she'll earn. 
I have no problem dealing by myself with the kids' day-to-day needs. See, she seemed shocked, but what she wants to do goes against everything we agreed upon when we got married. Shouldn't family come before career when the career isn't a financial necessity? Isn't the burden on the party that wants to make a big change to convince everybody else? I do kind of love this idea that there is like a standard to how all marriages have to work and that like I'll be able to say like, yes, she has violated the original compact of your marriage and as such you win. Um, <laughs> it's like Speaking of people who haven't been to therapy, like if this guy brought those questions to a therapist, I'd be like the first thing they would be like, we're not answering those. <laughs> those aren't right. even we're just going to pretend you didn't even say those um, because because the whole letter really feels like what he wants you to say is um yeah, you are right and your wife is wrong end of story period like enough um, right and, and and what she is choosing <laughs> is career before family right like the only options are not move prioritize family or move and throw our family into the sun like you know it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying in the beginning about like it's not so much immoral versus moral as it is there's a lot of different options with a lot of different ethical frameworks um there are reasons to move. There are reasons not to move. Um, there are things that would be challenging about it. There are also things that would be probably great about it. Um, it would not necessarily, it, it's not necessarily, you know, you're on the side of family. She's on the side of career. Like she is also a part of the family. Um, her happiness in her job is a part of your family. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying it's not like, this this attitude of like, nope, I'm staying with the original confines of our marriage agreement. You are straying outside of it. You are disobedient. I am obedient. Uh, I am right. You can either get on board or like fuck off and visit on the weekends. Yeah, I mean, what it sounded like to me was that from his letter was I'm kind of like, oh, everyone in this family, like they sound super spoiled. It sounds like since the inception of the family, none of them have ever had to do something they don't want to do or make a sacrifice. And now the wife is kind of introducing that idea to the rest of them. And they're all like, oh, my God, like, what is this? Absolutely not. This nasty, little, gross, undesirable city you want to move to. I mean, I don't even know that anyone in the family has been to the city. It really sounds like I'm I kind of <laughs> OK, I'm not going to say the city I was imagining in my head when he said that. But I was like, you need to go visit. Like, you can't just be like, everyone knows that's a trash city. Like, right. you need like, to go to the city. universally regarded, I have a pretty good image of what universe you're picturing. And it's not mm, the sum exactly. total of yes. the universe. It's your other rich yeah. friends. Um, yes. And I do yeah, detect, like, again, like, I don't want to come down too hard on this letter writer. Like, this is not in the same category as, like, the last letter writer where I'm like, you need to rethink your whole life. But sometimes um, people who make a lot of money um, and retire in their mid-30s get a sense of entitlement of, I have all this money, and so all the, you know, things that I want to do in this marriage, in this family, in this relationship, you know, they carry a little extra weight. And maybe you wouldn't be so crass as to say, like, well, it's my money, my rules. But that's kind of what you're thinking and saying. Um, and I, I just... I think that that is not a great way to conduct your life. Like, I think if you are trying to bring that energy to your family of, like, the person who makes the most money um, has the most influence, that is, like, a pretty uh, upsetting power balance to bring to loving relationships. That's not to say that, like, you shouldn't make decisions, like, based around financial necessity for your family. Obviously, I'm not saying, like, you should give your five-year-old the, you know, ability to buy groceries and have them make all the decisions. But yeah, this idea that like, I make all the money, 
And so, you know, it's my way or the highway is um, I, I, I think that's, you know, never add capitalism to love if you don't have to. As an aside, wouldn't you watch a reality TV show that was just about five five year olds grocery shopping? Because I would. One hundred percent. That would be the most <laughs> charming show. Um, I would love the like little interviews afterwards of like, okay, what was your strategy going into the safe? Oh and how the five year old would be like, it. well, they gave me this many dollars, and I like eating things that are purple. Um, it would be very very adorable. I would watch the heck out of that show. Um, but yeah, no, sorry. To, I mean, when I was saying that they all seem spoiled, frankly, I'm including the wife, too. It really sounds like they've never had to kind of confront um, a situation where somebody in the family might not like the outcome. Oh, because money and smooths so over that, so many problems. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Like yeah. 90%. It's one of the nice things about it. One of the, like, 90% of the problems that people experience, uh, like, in this column on this podcast would be fixed if I was just like, oh, by the way, here is a lot of money. Your problem is mostly gone now. Like, the 10% that remains are still really intense, but a lot of them would be solved with money. I mean, so it seems to me it's like, OK, yes, it is not unreasonable for you to want your wife to explain to you and your children, perhaps depending on their ages, why the job is important and appealing to her. But you have to be open minded about it. You can't already showing show up being like, this is awful. I'm not going to get to go vacation in the summer. Like, forget about it. You know, you have to be willing to be like, why is this important to you? Like, what do you see this doing for our family? Um, and. And, you know, it, I mean, there's like a way to tell this this uh, this story that's that's very whiny and like put out. But there's a way to tell the story that's like, my God, like how incredible that we have so much flexibility that my wife could take a job that actually costs us money and we could still stay together and everyone could get a version of what they want. You know, like, that's remarkable. That's not a bad outcome, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you say that if she feels the job is so important to her, which suggests that you actually don't really know a lot about what about this job appeals to her. So I would say rather than approaching this in a spirit of, all right, wife, you have 30 seconds, you know, like this is an episode of Shark Tank. You have 45 seconds to convince me and your wealthy children why we should invest in your stupid career. And otherwise, like, we're throwing you out. Um, Like, have the overdue conversation, uh, like approach this in a spirit of curiosity and ask that she do the same. Say like, hey, it is clear that we are on really different pages. Um, and I, I can't promise that we're going to find a great compromise that we both love. But like, I love you. I want to know more about you. I, I want to be able to make decisions together with as much information as possible. So talk to me about, you know, this job offer. Tell me more about why you want it. Tell me more about the job that you have right now. Tell me more about what appeals to you about this other city. Um, and, and listen and pay attention. Um, and after she talks about that, you know, and it's your turn, like, don't just wait for your chance to be like, and here's why it's a lousy idea and you shouldn't do it. Just talk about like, you know, the job doesn't have a lot of vacation. Um, there's not a lot of freedom. You know, I would be afraid of how this would affect my life. I would be afraid of how this would affect the kid's life. Um, can we talk about those concerns? Because it may be that she shares some of them. It may be that, like, as a unit, you guys can ultimately decide that this isn't the right next move. But you can't, like, you can't insist that she get in line or, like, fuck off. Or, like, you can, but then you'll probably end up getting divorced. Um 
and say like, yeah, if you want to, you know, it, it, I didn't know you didn't like your job. Like if there's something else you want to change, if you'd rather live in a city, like let's talk about that. It doesn't have to be necessarily this job right now. Like we have options. Mostly I just want to know like what do you want out of the next couple of years? What do you want out of your career? What are some things that feel really important to you? What are things that feel less important to you? And like, let's have an ongoing conversation because I don't want to get caught off guard again where you're at a point where you're ready to like click buy on like richpeoplebyhouses.com and I'm ready to like change the locks and say, feel free to come home on the weekends if you must. Um, like that's a pretty, it's a pretty big gap between the two of you. And I think that can only be, um, changed by having regular check-in conversations about what you want and what you don't want i just i need to know what they've been doing with all their free time that it's not talking to each other because it's just drinking martinis and like talking about all the undesirable places there are to live like what are they doing with their time it feels it feels a little like you know those jokes about the episodes of house hunters international where like the couple has a a ridiculous amount of money and jobs that don't really explain where it comes from like the guy is like oh i like restore old starfishes and the wife is like oh i saw a wizard once and they're like oh our budget is 50 million dollars it's like kind of like that um and then you know i I don't want to say like i don't want to come down too hard on these people but yeah it sounds like money has enabled you guys to you know uh, kind of scoot over a lot of um problems that other couples kind of have to face and and you have maybe substituted in some ways um being able to throw money at a problem for relational intimacy and you've reached a point where you kind of can't do that shortcut anymore because you're not the level of rich where you can buy your wife a private jet and she can just commute every day. Um, so, you know, money's not going to fix this problem. And like wielding the fact that you have more money is not going to fix this problem. You're just going to have to actually talk to each other and listen. Um, and, you know, yeah, just just do that. Have that conversation. And if nothing else, like, don't assume that there's a lot of cities that are universally regarded as an undesirable place to live because everybody lives in a, you know what I mean? Like at some point, the people who live there, not that everybody is free to move to wherever they want, but I bet if you went to that city and you asked everyone, not every single person would be like, oh yeah, this is objectively the worst place to live on earth. Um, I, everyone here hates every second of it. Um, that is, that is a position of contempt. I don't think we're being too hard on them. I think we're poking a little fun at them, but I don't think we're being mean to them. And yeah. and having fun poked at you is very character building. Just like moving to a place you don't necessarily want to move to can be very character building. And very, very rich um, people often do not have fun poked at them. Or like people do it, but like they do it on Twitter where the rich people are like, ha ha, I don't have to look at this. I'm very rich. I'm going to go do something else now. Um, right. So you're right. going to be fine with, with all of your money. And none of your conversations. Less money, more conversations in 2018. Yeah. 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 Money can't buy you conversations. And money can't buy you compliance in a spouse. You know what I mean? Like, or it can for a while if you keep, (laughs) like, if someone chucked diamonds at me on a regular basis, they would get a compliant spouse for a pretty long time. But eventually, I would want to do something that they didn't like. And, you know, eventually I would say, like, I'm over this. There's no diamond big enough to keep me from whatever my dumb idea is. I, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean that. If anyone out there would like to keep me in diamonds um, and also just make sure that I, I don't know, I'm like a trophy spouse. Uh, you have weird taste, A of all. But sure, like, let's go for it. I would absolutely not take any jobs that you didn't want me to take. And I would, I don't know, buy a lot of tennis bracelets. I do not know how to be a trophy spouse. 
Um, so that's my sales pitch for myself. Gonna... <laughs> and uh, if anyone... And that's Mallory's uh, dating ad. Yeah, so. that's, this whole thing has been a very long episode for like, do you want a mouthy weirdo who mixes a lot of prints and has like hard opinions about how other people should live their life? Well, you are in luck. I am available uh, for going full dynasty. Um, but, you know, just shoulder pads and what is it? Is a tennis bracelet a bracelet you wear while you're playing tennis? Or is it a bracelet that you wear after, like, once you've played tennis, they're like, oh, here's the bracelet everyone who plays tennis gets. It, yeah, it's like a dime, like a loose, kind of delicate, but not too delicate diamond bracelet. And I'm sure it is. So, like, you wear it when it's you're playing diamonds? tennis. It's diamonds? I'm sure it, like, catches the light. Yeah, diamonds. Mm-hmm. And is it like, okay, is it? do you play it when you are... Do you play it? Do you wear it when you're playing tennis or is it like I mean, like I'm a... imagining yes. Because I think I've seen, I think like way back in the 90s, ads for tennis bracelets. I know Cindy Crawford was in one. This is why I even know they oh exist. And I'm pretty sure she was like on the tennis court. And I imagine it's kind of like if you're swinging your arm around in the air and you're playing on like a beautiful open air tennis okay. court. Yeah. You know, which of course you are because you're not a commoner. You're not going to play tennis indoors. No. Like... That it's catching the light, like it's it's glint, you know just glinting off the sunlight. Maybe it's even Put sabotaging your, your opponents. Oh my god, the rich. There's so much I don't know about you. Um, okay, there is not a Wikipedia entry for tennis bracelets. There's just one for bracelets. But now I'm doing a control F search. That's not going to cut it. Wikipedia, please come through. Oh, okay. There's okay. This is amazing. So there's a series of like subsets called types. There is alternative health bracelets, beaded bracelets, charm bracelets, slap bracelets, sports bracelets, and tennis bracelets. Love that slap oh my bracelets God, that's are so in there. Good. Um, yes. Oh, what? This can't be true. This this can't be true. Hang on. This cannot be true. Listen to this. The only listing under the tennis bracelet entry is this. During the 1987 U.S. Open, Chris Everts' diamond line bracelet fell off onto the court. She said about this, I dropped my tennis bracelet. And since then, diamond line bracelets have been called tennis bracelets. Are you telling me? Oh, my God. Are you trying to tell me that Chris Everts invented the tennis bracelet? I am stunned. What a blessed discovery! This feels like this Wikipedia entry is okay. So there's uh, I'm I'm now on um, Sotheby's.com, which I I feel like you know a lot more rich people than I do. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it Sotheby's? Is it Sotheby's? Yeah, okay, yeah, you totally yeah. Um, okay, so Sotheby's confirms that the tennis bracelet was immortalized by world-ranked tennis star Chris Everett in 1987. She literally invented calling it tennis bracelets. The tennis bracelet. That makes sense of why I'm like, oh, I remember Cindy Crawford advertising in the 90s. This would be like right on the cusp of tennis bracelet fever. This is I this is amazing. What a legacy to give to the world. Um I will never get over this. Uh, we're just Yeah, did you to... know that, <laughs> that no. your podcast was going to turn into like this, jewelry like, history investigative discovery oh my god <laughs> oh my god this is jewelry deep cuts yeah wow okay chris Everett. They, they, they halted the game by the way she refused to continue playing until the bracelet was found so they stopped the grand slam until they could find like the bits of her bracelet on the floor 
or ground or whatever wouldn't the you, outside Wouldn't is. you stop whatever was going on so you could, like, collect your diamond bits? I mean, in the, like, alternate universe where I am a <laughs> world-ranked tennis champion and also the kind of person who wears diamonds while I am competing at an international level, like, at the top of my game yeah. of sports. Yeah, I'm sure I'm also the kind of person who does that. But that uh, is... 100%. That is not... I have peanut butter in my backpack right now. You know what I mean? Like... Like a jar of peanut butter. I didn't like put peanut butter on the inside of my backpack. I just like for it's not just loose peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, it's not loose peanut butter, but it's definitely like I just have a jar of peanut butter in my backpack uh, because that's what I'm going to have for supper. <laughs> the whole jar, like a raccoon, no, just no, the a little paw in the jar. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more like a raccoon than like a diamond bracelet lady. Okay, we have had the greatest episode of all time, and I, I'm going to need to cut it short because at this point it, we're just. We're just roasting me, and and there's no reason for me to. <gasps> oh roast no, we're celebrating you. Yeah, we're I, celebrating you. We are celebrating and roasting at the same time because I am a raccoon, and that's the kind of advice you are getting if you write to me, Charlotte. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Mallory, for having me. You are a gift and a dirtbag and a true delight, and I hope that we get to have you back sometime. <laughs> I would love it anytime. All right, thank you so much. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. I want to give a quick and fulsome thanks to Audrey Dilling, my longtime producer, who is moving on to an exciting new unnamed project and who is already profoundly missed. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. It's not to say that Max Jacobs isn't doing a fantastic job. He already explained to me what tennis bracelets used to be called, so I have a feeling he's going to fit in just fine. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. Remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. If you're looking for more to listen to from Slate, check out Trumpcast. It's a quasi-daily podcast from Slate that sets out to understand the real Donald Trump. Jacob Weisberg, chairman of Slate, along with writer Virginia Heffernan and Slate chief political correspondent Jamel Bowie, talk to historians, psychiatrists, and other experts to help explain who this man is and why this is happening right now in the United States of America. Check out Trumpcast wherever you get your podcasts.